Our second reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of God. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, lest in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Udio, and then I entreat Sintok, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of, of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything my prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our scripture readings uh, this morning, we heard Jesus say, Do not be anxious about your life. And... Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? And do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And do not be anxious about tomorrow. And then we heard the Apostle Paul say, do not be anxious about anything. Do you sense a general theme here? In our scripture readings this morning, we are living in anxious times. Many of us are anxious and fearful because of the COVID-19 virus. And it seems like the worriers fall into two distinct camps. Some of us are worried about the virus, about its spread, about the death and the disease that the virus is causing. And others of us are worried about the shutdown, about the social dislocation, poverty, and unemployment that the shutdown is causing. Oh yeah, and there's a third camp of worriers. Some of us are worried about the escalating conflict between the other two camps of worriers, the death and disease camp and the poverty and unemployment camp. We are in anxious and fearful times. And as a vaccine continues to elude us, and as the shutdown drags on now into its third month here, and as our unemployment figures begin to rival the Great Depression, I'm reminded of a line from Franklin Delano Roosevelt's first inaugural address back in 1933. He said, Let me... Assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, 
nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terrors which paralyzed needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. What Roosevelt put his finger on is that sometimes fear itself can get in the way of solving the problem that we fear. Sometimes fear itself paralyzes us precisely at the time we need vigorous action. Sometimes fear itself can be a bigger problem than the thing that we are afraid of. Jesus directly and repeatedly tells us to not be anxious. Paul echoes Jesus' teaching and says that we should not be anxious about anything. Does that mean that anxiety is a sin? Does that mean anxiety is a sin that we as Christians individually should fight against anxiety in our hearts the same way that we fight against anger and sloth and lust and greed and a host of other sins? Does that mean that anxiety is a sin that we as a church corporately should fight against in our society the same way that we fight against injustice and cruelty and exploitation? The answer to all of these questions is yes. Anxiety is a sin. And yes, we should fight it in our hearts and in our world. But let me qualify this yes, first of all, clarifying what Scripture is not talking about when it calls out our anxiety. Everyone feels worry or fear or anxiety from time to time. In fact, you'd have to be a machine or a sociopath to never feel anxiety. Some people, however, feel these emotions with such intensity and with such persistence that their lives are disrupted or debilitated. We humans are a combination of soul and body, of spirit and matter. What goes on in our bodies does affect our spirits, and the conditions in our spirits affects our bodies. Anxiety and worry are conditions in our minds or our spirits, and they can be caused by conditions in our body. Some people who suffer from panic attacks, for example, have a problem in their inner ear that brings on the attack. In their mind and in their spirit, they feel extreme fear. But the cause of the fear is in the body. Some people who suffer from anxiety disorders have trouble in their brain chemistry, which gives rise to their condition. In their mind and spirit, they feel extreme and persistent anxiety. But the cause of the anxiety is in their brain, which is, of course, just another part of the body. There are times when our worry, fear, and anxiety have their roots in a disorder or a dis-ease in our body. And in those cases, what is first called for is medical attention. Once the condition is treated medically, then spiritual counsel is also in order because body and spirit are connected. People who are spiritually disordered suffer greater physical disorder as well. In this sermon, I won't talk about anxiety which is so intense or so long-lasting that it requires medical intervention. Yes, of course, there is a spiritual component 
in all health concerns, both physical and mental health. But what I want to focus on this morning are the more garden variety worries and fears and anxieties that we have. Anxiety that does not rise to the level of requiring medical treatment. So let's listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Because it has a lot to say about how anxiety works in our minds and in our spirits and how we can keep this anxiety from ruling and ruining our lives. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've spent any amount of time with Paul, you know that he is very much a Jewish rabbi, as opposed to a Greek philosopher. In the way that he thinks and the way he argues, he makes his case not by presenting a series of propositions in a logical syllogism. Rather, he lifts up one idea, which brings to mind another idea, which leads to something else that he was thinking about. And the net effect, when all is said and done, is rather more poetical than philosophical. And I think that's the case here as well. So let's break down this passage and see how one thought can lead to the next. We must first, however, recognize that this passage is Paul's response to what he was talking about in the previous verses. In verse 2, Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Suntuki to agree in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, is really all about those two women. These are two women who have worked with Paul. These are two women whose names are written in the book of life, but somehow they're at loggerheads with each other over some issue that we don't know about. Paul wants them to agree with each other. And Paul asks the person carrying the letter to the church at Philippi to help these women agree, to be a kind of mediator between them. That is the context of Paul's comments about anxiety. There is some kind of conflict, some kind of maladjustment in the church. Paul wants everyone to get beyond this state of discord and to find harmony and unity again. The church, of course, should be a place of harmony and unity. Out of his concern for harmony and unity in the church and out of his concern for restoring the friendship between Euodia and Suntuki, Paul gives his instruction. And he begins, in verse 5, by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So, what is the connection between Euodia and Suntuki fighting with each other and Paul telling the church not just once but twice to always rejoice in the Lord. How are these two things connected? It may be more of a 
literary than a logical connection, but you can say that rejoicing is not the same as being in conflict, that the one who is in conflict with a brother or sister in Christ is probably not at that moment rejoicing. Rejoicing and quarreling are not strict antonyms, but they generally don't go together. They don't happen at the same time in the same person. A rejoicing person is probably not quarreling. And a quarreling person is probably not rejoicing. So if you rejoice always, you'll probably be inoculated against quarreling. James, the brother of Jesus, sheds some light on the root of fighting and quarreling. He writes, this is James 4, verses 1 and 2, he writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And remember that James is speaking here to the church. He's not speaking to pagans. He's talking about quarrels and fights among Christians. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. More about that later. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Most fights that I've seen are because two people want to have or want to control the same thing. That's how fights break out in the nursery. Two toddlers want to have the same toy. And that's also how fights break out in the choir. Two adults want to control what will be sung or how it will be sung. Fighting is rooted in our desire and in our covetousness. And the solution to both of these problems is turning to God and asking God for what you need. You do not have because you do not ask, James tells us. Not that God will give us everything that we desire, but by turning to God to ask for what we think we need... We find ourselves measuring our desires and our contentment in light of God's will and not in light of our will. Just praying about our needs and desires has a way of helping us see those things from God's point of view. And that does change things. In fact, it changes us. So covetousness is at the root of the conflict between Euodia and Suntuki, and Paul says that the answer to this conflict is to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice when I have the toy, and rejoice when I don't have the toy. Rejoice when the choir sings my song, and rejoice when the choir does not sing my song. Rejoice in the Lord always, because a rejoicing person is not an unhappy person. And only unhappy people fight with other people. Euodia and Suntuki are fighting. And Paul's first instruction is rejoice. Now, from rejoicing, Paul then turns to reasonableness. As we read in the ESV translation. Or gentleness as we read in the NIV translation. Paul writes, Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. To be unreasonable, to be harsh, 
is always to insist upon your own way. Have you ever met someone like that? Someone who always has to have it their own way? To be unreasonable and to be harsh is to always insist upon your own way, which is likely what got Euodia and Suntuki in trouble in the first place. Euodia and Suntuki are not only quarreling and causing trouble in the church, they're also unhappy themselves. Now, no doubt they think that they're unhappy because of the other person. Euodia thinks she's unhappy because Suntuki won't cooperate. And Suntuki thinks she's unhappy because Euodia is being so unreasonable. But Paul, like a brilliant marriage therapist, redirects the quarreling couple and gets them to focus on themselves and their own reactions rather than focusing on the other person whom they imagine to be the source of their problem. Let me make a little parenthetical observation here. Well, it's actually more of a pronouncement than an observation. It is always a good idea for us to confess our own sins. But it will never be our job to confess the sins of other people. You may have noticed that a substantial portion of the postings in your Facebook feed, a substantial portion of the op-ed content of the daily newspaper, a substantial portion of the jokes in late-night comedy routines are people confessing the sins of other people rather than confessing their own sins. People confessing the sins of the president. People confessing the sins of the governor. People confessing the sins of those who are not wearing masks. People confessing the sins of those who are wearing masks. It is not our job to confess the sins of other people. And on judgment day, God will not call you to the witness stand and ask for your testimony about what other people did or did not do. I would invite you to go through your own social media feed and to check and see how often you are confessing the sins of other people. As followers of Christ, we are called to attend to the log in our own eye rather than the speck in our brother's eye. And Paul, in a deft redirection that any marriage therapist would admire, turns the attention of Euodia and Suntuki away from the offense they feel that they have suffered to the attitude of their own heart which has caused them to feel the offense in the first place. Mature people take responsibility for their own feelings and reactions to other people. Immature people blame other people for their feelings and for their reactions. This is a very important point. Feel free to confess your own sins, but please refrain from confessing the sins of the person you feel has offended you. Paul asks these two women and the whole church to be known as reasonable as gentle people. If each one of us is reasonable and gentle, our problems will be few and conflicts will be rare. Now, here is another important point. 
What makes us harsh and unreasonable, what makes us the opposite of what Scripture calls us to be, is our fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety that we won't have our needs met. Fear and anxiety that we won't be safe. Fear and anxiety that others might trample our rights. Fear and anxiety that we might suffer some possible loss. Fear and anxiety are what make us harsh and unreasonable. Frightened people like cornered animals can be very dangerous. Gentleness and reasonableness, that's what we're called to display as Christians. Gentleness and reasonableness will require that we root out fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety are antithetical to Christian living. And we Christians need to take responsibility for our fear and anxiety. Paul's next sentence, which is still part of verse 5, offers the antidote to our fear and anxiety. He writes, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Or in another translation, the Lord is near. When I feel afraid because I'm besieged by enemies, the Lord is near. He is my rock and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. When I feel afraid about whether or not my needs will be met, the Lord is near. He is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. When I feel afraid of being falsely accused by those who have power over me, the Lord is near. He will hide me in the shadow of his wings from the attacks of the wicked. Little children, when they wake up afraid in the night, often will climb into their parents' beds and fall back asleep. Just having their parents near calms their fears. It's not that the world has changed, but they feel secure knowing that their parents will shield them from any danger. We are anxious when we are far from God, when the Lord is not near. Fear and anxiety are symptoms of being estranged from God. Not only are fear and anxiety sinful in themselves, they also give rise to other sins. Fear and anxiety drive us to harshness and unreasonableness and anger. Our anger is a mask for our fear. And when we strike out at others in our anger, we sin. According to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, anger with my brother is the same as murder. Which is why James was able to say, you desire and do not have, so you murder. I don't think he was talking about murder literally going on in the church. But that murderous anger that we have with other people. But for us who have been claimed by the Lord, well, there's actually no need for fear. As we read in 1 John, God is love. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Our security in Christ, our embrace within the love of God, allows us to be fearless, unafraid of anything in this world or in the world to come. 
And that brings us to the key verse of this passage, that sweet verse, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We don't have to be anxious because the Lord is near. We don't have to be afraid because the Lord is at hand. We don't have to worry because God knows our needs. He will provide. We don't have to fret because God who loves us will defend us. Do not be anxious about anything said the man who sat in a Roman prison awaiting execution. And he was right. Now, the rest of that verse should also catch our attention in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. This past Monday, I met with the Presbyterian Stogie Society via the Internet And as we always do, we spent the last half hour praying for each other. For those who are exposed to the coronavirus each day when they go to work, we ask that God would keep them safe. For those who have lost jobs and income because of the shutdown, we ask God to meet their financial needs. For those who have children with at-home school schedules that prevent a parent from going to work, we ask God for a new schedule in the fall. For those who are having struggles with their businesses, we ask God to give them success. For those laboring to keep the church moving forward, we prayed that God would bring results to their efforts. We made our requests known to God. Not that he didn't already know, but God likes to hear from us. And he's commanded us to pray without ceasing, and so we pray. And we pray knowing that God has a good track record, that he has taken care of his people in the past, which gives us confidence that he will take care of us now and in the future. And that allows us to not be anxious about anything, which brings us the grand payoff of this beautiful passage of Scripture. Paul writes, this is... Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What more can we ask for in this life than peace of mind? Isn't that the goal of every single prayer? When we ask for health and income and relationships, aren't we really asking for peace in our lives? Aren't we really asking that the anxiety about sickness or poverty or loneliness be removed from us? And if we have peace, don't we have everything? We're not really living if we're not at peace. When we're anxious and fearful, we feel like we're fighting for our lives. I think a lot of people are feeling that way right now. Like they're fighting for their lives and until the fight is over, of course they're not really living. We're just holding our breath until we can get through this trouble. But when we have peace, then our bodies relax and they are strong and they're flexible, and our brains are at ease, and they're focused, and they're creative, 
pieces, the precondition for mental and physical health. When we have peace, we flourish. When we have peace, we live the way God intends us to live. And that peace can be ours today. If you want peace in your life and peace in your world, you first have to have peace with God. If you want things to be right in your life, you first have to get right with God. Scripture teaches, and a lot of people don't want to hear this, but Scripture teaches that we in our natural state are enemies of God, that we are at war with God, that we are hostile to God, and that's because we want to be God. We want to control our universe. We want to be a law unto ourselves. We don't want to have to answer to anyone. Here's what Paul says, Romans 8, 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. That's just our natural condition. And we're all in the same boat. But being hostile to God sets us against the creator of the universe, which is crazy, It sets us against the one who has designed us and made us and loves us and knows what's best for us, which is pure insanity. Fighting God is nutty. And yet that's what we naturally do. And so we have no peace. Not with God, not with our world, not even with ourselves. No peace. You can't fight against the one who made you And think that it's going to turn out well for you. And yet, so often, that's what we do. But hear the good news. God in his mercy has broken through the spell of our own fight against him by sending Jesus Christ. And when we wake up to who Jesus is when we stop fighting God and give in and call Jesus Lord and thank Him for being our Savior, then the fight is over. And the peace, it begins. As Paul writes, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have peace with God, then you also have peace with everything else. Peace with yourself, Peace with the world. If you've never taken the conscious step of making peace with Christ, I invite you to do that today. Ask Him to be your Savior. Ask Him to wash away your sin and to forgive your rebellion. Ask Him to be your protector, your provider, your champion for the rest of your life. And if you have already been born again but are feeling beset by anxiety and fear these days, I invite you to renew your trust in God. He really is bigger than all of this stuff that's going on. Our worldly, fleshly eyes are distracted by everything that darts past, everything that threatens harm, everything that tempts us to foolishness. And yes, the media are designed precisely to exploit our fleshly eyes. They give us exactly what our fallen nature 
craves like a drug. But when our eyes are opened and when our eyes are set free, when our eyes are able to focus on Christ, then our hearts do find comfort and peace and our minds and our bodies settle into a productive groove. There is a sweetness that comes from finding peace with God. I hope you've felt that in the past, and I promise you that you can feel it again today and in the future. All of our anxiety comes from pretending that the world is ours to control, from pretending that we are God, and then being alarmed when we discover things are not as we want them to be. Keep your eyes on Christ. Let God be God and experience the peace that passes all understanding today. This is the word of the Lord for us this day. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would seal to our hearts the truth of your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray as well that you would give us wills that are capable of choosing you, of following you, of responding to you. Give us freedom, Lord. Give us peace of mind. Cure in us our restless, stir-crazy hearts. Save us from ourselves. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.